MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Friday, November 13th, 2020. Today, Trump's legal challenges of election results fail spectacularly time and again. Barr is caught sweeping cases under the rug at Maine Justice. Trump's recount fundraising efforts see money going directly to Trump himself and the RNC and not the recount effort. Biden continues with his transition, appointing Ron Klain as his chief of staff. Tish James gets Trump org financial documents from Alan Weisselberg. Trump turns multiple appointee positions permanent. And a senior U.S. cybersecurity official is forced to resign. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody, we have a big show today. I uh, sat down today for almost 30, a little over 30 minutes with Olivia Troy. That discussion was about the impact that the delayed transition by GSA Emily Murphy has on our ability to fight COVID. She's uh, Olivia Troy, if you remember, she's a former task force member. She was on uh, Pence's task force. Um, before that, she was with Department of Homeland Security. She's been in government a long time. She's a whistleblower. Um, she's been speaking out. You might have seen her on Matto. And she has she's breaking some news with us. So stay tuned for a Daily Beans exclusive. Just only you'll only hear it here. And um, it's Friday, which means Amy Carrero will be here to read the good news with me at the end of the show. I always love Fridays because I always love Shira. So uh, stick around for that. In the meantime, there are a lot of headlines today. We're getting back into that shit show lullaby, that fire hose of news. Um, where we were. <laughs> we, we had a brief respite over the weekend when Joe Biden was announced the winner. But here we are, and there's a lot of news, so let's get to it. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right, the lead story today comes from the New York Times and has to do with some of the investigations stymied by Bill Barr. We already knew about all of the, you know, stuff Mueller handed off, that kind of, we haven't seen or heard anything about those things, except the Southern District of New York investigation into Cohen and the Trump Organization for the Catch and Kill hush money payments involving Stormy Daniels and Karen McDougal, McDougal and Individual One, which is Trump. And we know that that got shut down, uh, although Cy Vance in the Manhattan District Attorney's Office has picked it up. And today we're learning that as the scandal over President Trump's dealing with Ukraine unfolded in Washington last fall and prompted his impeachment, public corruption prosecutors the Justice Department were stewing. Uh, they had examined Mr. Trump's actions and found no campaign violations and were initially given the green light to pursue a potentially explosive inquiry into whether he had broken any other laws. What is it, the Impoundment Act? Um, you know, where you can't put, you know, you can't block federal congressionally appropriated funds and um, or any any other laws as far as the, the you know, what happened with Ukraine. But Attorney General Barr and other top officials held them back. They held back the public corruption prosecutors at Maine Justice. Um, they said Congress is investigating the same matter during impeachment, so don't do anything. But then after the Senate acquitted Trump, Mr. Barr, in effect, took the case away from the public integrity section and sent all Ukraine-related inquiries to the U.S. Attorney's Office in Brooklyn. This is according to six people familiar with the matter. Compounding the prosecutor's dissatisfaction was a stalled case around that time against a member of Trump's cabinet, former Interior Secretary Ryan Zinke. The Deputy Attorney General Jeffrey Rosen told the section's lawyers they needed a stronger case. He, this is the one about lying, among other things. 
Um, it was a, I believe it was a case referred criminally by the inspector general at the Interior Department. And the boiling frustration was a critical moment in the long-running tensions between the public integrity section and the Trump administration, all that began back under Jeff Sessions. They, they spilled into the open this week as Mr. Barr issued the memo authorizing prosecutors to investigate fr- voter fraud claims before the results of the presidential race are certified. And that prompted the section's lawyer who oversees voter fraud investigations, Richard Pilger, to step down from the post in protest. Additionally, we learned today that a Justice Department investigation found that federal prosecutors that oversaw the controversial non-prosecution sweetheart deal with Epstein in 2008 just exercised, quote, poor judgment, but didn't break the law, according to an executive summary released Thursday. That's the Department of Justice's findings. We've had judges find otherwise. The investigation by the Department's Office of Professional Responsibility focused on the conduct of former federal government lawyers, including ex-Labor Secretary Alex Acosta. Now, this investigation can be picked up in the next administration, but I'm hearing from some lawyers that it likely will not be, but it could be. It wouldn't be considered double jeopardy because it didn't go to trial. But we'll see. But here's some good news, though, from Bloomberg, that while Barr has failed us magnificently, Tish James remains a hero. New York's attorney general continues to gather information about Trump's businesses, obtaining financial records this month from the family of the Trump Organization's CFO that could provide further insights into the company's operations and tax strategies. Office of Attorney General Letitia James is reviewing tax records associated with a son and ex-daughter-in-law of the CFO, Alan Weiselberg. That's according to a person familiar with the matter. You'll remember back in the day when uh, the feds were looking into this before the case was dropped... Weisselberg was given partial limited immunity. We have heard of no such immunity in this case. And now she has Weisselberg's kids' taxes. James' office is conducting a civil investigation, not criminal, into whether the Trump Organization falsely reported property values to secure loans or tax benefits. And we'll keep you posted on that. And speaking of uh, the election that Joe Biden has won... Audits from Arizona are coming in, saying they have no evidence of any voter fraud there. Biden is continuing with his transition despite being blocked from funding and resources by Trump acolyte Emily Murphy, the head of the GSA. We've talked about her quite a bit this week. Her responses to congressional inquiries were due yesterday. She failed to comply. There are whispers in Congress she could be subpoenaed and that they may change the rules of contempt to allow Congress to find those to exercise their inherent contempt authority. Well, we'll keep you posted on that. Of course, this Congress expires come January, so they have to hurry it up. And in the meantime, Joe Biden has appointed Ron Klain as his chief of staff. Ron Klain uh, was Joe Biden's chief of staff when he was in the White House as vice president to Obama. He knows Joe Biden inside and out. He also headed up um, the Ebola uh, task force back in the day. So he's got incredible amounts of experience. And it's just, it's so wonderful to talk about experienced professionals being in the White House. It just, it gives me a nice clean feeling, you know, makes me think of the West Wing, the show, like, ah, good people, good people. And makes me really happy. I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday uh, about, oh, it's very interesting that uh, when Joe Biden made his calls to foreign dignitaries uh, about, you know, Hey, I've I appear to have won the election, and I just want to let you know. Look forward to working with you. Usually, we always call the UK first, but this time we called Canada first, 
And we're clutching our pearls like, ooh, scandal. That is the kind of tan suit fucking scandal I long for. Uh, I'm so happy about this, I have to tell you. Anyhow, Ron Klain, looking very much forward to him being the chief of staff in the White House. Now, Trump, of course, is using baseless lawsuits to delay the transition further, and those cases are not going well. He is over 13, maybe over 14. I need to check my docket. Uh, and some of the court transcripts have to be heard to be believed. The most famous scene so far, could get worse, has come in Pennsylvania, where a Trump lawyer strained to avoid acknowledging that their people were, in fact, allowed to observe the vote count. Now, as the city's federal courthouse at the city's federal courthouse on Thursday evening, attorneys for Trump asked the judge to issue an emergency order to stop the count, alleging that all Republican observers had been barred. Under sharp questioning from Judge Diamond, however, they conceded that Trump, in fact, had, quote, a non-zero number of people in the room, leaving Diamond audibly exasperated, the, tr- the judge, Judge Diamond. I'm sorry, then what's your problem? asked Diamond, who was appointed to the federal bench by President G.W. Bush. Denying Trump's request, Diamond struck a deal for 60 observers from each party to be allowed inside. At one point Friday afternoon, 12 Republican observers and five Democrats were watching the count, according to a ballot counter who was working. After that, quote, non-zero answer, Diamond pressed the Trump campaign lawyer to be more explicit, and he suggestively invoked their standing with the bar saying, I'm asking you, as a member of the bar of this court, are people representing the plaintiffs in the room? The lawyer responded, yes. (laughs) Another Trump lawyer, Jonathan Goldstein, was also grilled by a Pennsylvania judge this week. Under questioning, he acknowledged that contrary to Trump's claims about rampant voter fraud, he was not alleging fraud in the 592 ballots he sought to disqualify in Montgomery County, PA. Here's a little bit of that transcript. <clears throat> the court. In your petition, which is right before me, and I read, I read it several times, you don't claim that any electors or the board of county were guilty of fraud, correct? That's correct? Goldstein. Your Honor, accusing people of fraud is a pretty big step, and it is rare that I call someone a liar, and uh, I am not calling the board of the Democratic National Committee or anyone else involved in this a liar. Everyone is coming into this with good faith. The DNC is coming with good faith. We're all just trying to get an election done. We think these were a mistake, but we think they are a fatal mistake and that these ballots ought not be counted. The court. I understand, but I'm asking you a specific question, and I'm looking for a specific answer. Are you claiming that there is any fraud in connection with these 592 disputed ballots? Goldstein. To my knowledge, at present, no. The court. Are you claiming that there's any undue or improper influence upon the elector with respect to these 592 ballots? Goldstein. Uh, To my knowledge, at present, no. And scene. The Trump campaign also sought to temporarily stop counting some ballots in Detroit. It cited a GOP poll watcher who said she had been told by an unidentified person that late mail ballots were being predated to before Election Day, so they would be considered valid. The judge repeatedly asserted that this was hearsay, but the Trump campaign lawyer, Thor Hearn, sought to argue that it wasn't, despite it having been someone who said they heard about something they weren't personally involved in. He pointed to a vague note that the poll watcher produced, which said, entered received date as 11-220 on 11-420, as evidence. Stevens, this is the judge. So I want to make sure I understand you. The affiant is not the person who has knowledge of this. Is that correct? Hearn, 
The affiant had direct first-hand knowledge of the communication with the elections inspector and the document they provided. Judge Stevens. Okay, which is generally known as hearsay, right? Hearn. I would not think that's hearsay, Your Honor. That's first-hand personal knowledge by the affiant who, uh, who specifically physically observed something, and we included an exhibit, which is a physical copy of the note that she was provided. Judge Stevens. I'm still trying to understand how this isn't hearsay. Hearn. Well, it's, it's, I, Judge Stevens, I absolutely understand what the affiant says she heard someone say to her. But the truth of the matter that you're going for was that there was an illegal act that's occurring. Because other than that, I don't know what its relevancy is. Hearn. Uh, Right. Well, I would say, Your Honor, in terms of the hearsay point, uh, that is a first-hand factual statement made by Mrs. Conarn and... And she has made the statement based on her own first-hand physical evidence knowledge. Judge Stevens, I heard someone else say something. Tell me how that's not hearsay. Come on now. Hearn, well, it's first-hand statement of her physical... Judge Stevens, it's an out-of-court statement offered where the truth of the matter is asserted, right? (laughs) Just went on and on like this. It's fucking hearsay. And another of Trump team's claims crumbled rather quickly in Georgia, in Chatham County. As in Michigan, the Trump campaign cited supposed evidence that 53 late ballots had been predated so they could be counted, except two witnesses they called acknowledged under oath that they didn't know whether the ballots were received after the deadline. And two others for the local board of elections testified that they were, in fact, received on time. And these ridiculous court cases keep droning on. And as this happens, security officials are becoming increasingly concerned about the impact that the delayed transition has on national security. Natasha Bertrand, who writes for Politico, says a group of more than 150 former national security officials who served under President Donald Trump and other Republican and Democratic administrations is warning that the government's delay in recognizing Joe Biden as president-elect poses a serious risk to national security. In a letter sent to the General Services Administration, that's good old Emily Murphy, on Thursday and obtained by Politico, the former officials urged the agency to officially name Joe Biden and Kamala Harris as the apparent president-elect and vice president-elect so that they can access information, quote, needed to address pressing national security issues, such as the president's daily briefing and pending decisions on possible uses of military force. And now Trump is furiously trying to raise money for himself under the guise of a recount, when in fact we find out from Reuters today that all donations under $8,000 Go to Trump's PAC, which is him, and the RNC, not the recount effort. It's another grift. I'm pretty sure most of these suckers donating money aren't donating more than $8,000. You know, I don't think Joe the Plumber and Ken Bone are kicking in three months' salary for a recount. And today, more cracks in the wall. Lindsey Graham, Lindsey Graham crackers, and Chuck Grassley, Chuck Grassley, and Senator Thune, right, Republican senator, All Republicans went on the record saying Biden should be receiving national security briefings. Meanwhile, the DHS Cybersecurity Agency, CISA, released a statement saying the November 3rd election was the most secure in American history, period. There is no evidence that any voting system deleted or lost votes, changed votes, or was in any way compromised. While we know that there are many unfounded claims for misinformation about the process of our elections, we can assure you we have the utmost confidence in the security and integrity of our elections, and you should, too. When you have questions, turn to election officials and trusted voices as they administer elections. Oddly, the same day the CISA released that statement, we learned that a senior U.S. cybersecurity official is leaving that post after being asked to resign 
and this is uh, according to an official familiar with the matter. This is part of a wider thinning of President Donald Trump's administration. His name is Brian Ware. He was the assistant director of CISA, Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. So, coincidence? I think not. But, I, you know, I would be careful. I don't know. I have a little bit of a hard time taking at face value. There was zero problem with our election. Nothing was wrong coming from Trump's Department of Homeland Security. That seems like a... Seems like a Mitch McConnell ploy. I don't know. Maybe I'm... Maybe I should just let it lie. Uh, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll, let's get Joe in the White House, and then we'll talk about what happens after that. And within the White House, it appears that Eric and Don Jr. are encouraging their dad to keep fighting, Dad. Keep fighting, Dad. Be aggressive. Be aggressive. Um, but not about conceding. And within the White House, it appears that Eric and Jr., Beavis and Butthead, are encouraging their dad to keep fighting and be aggressive about not conceding. Be, aggra- be, ag- be aggressive, Dad. Be aggressive. Meanwhile, Jared and Ivanka apparently are telling him, you know, continue with the lawsuits, but, you know, you got to figure out a way to get out of here without looking like a fucking schmuck. Well, they can all go fuck themselves, honestly. And I wouldn't be too eager to grab onto a statement, like I said, from this Republican administration about election security, especially when we need to look into places like Kentucky and Maine. But again, like I said, we'll do that after January 20th. And Trump is digging in. Not just by delaying, not just with the GSA and delaying the transition and keeping national security briefs and the president's daily briefings from Biden and his lawsuits, but he's doing something called burrowing, which means he's flipping political appointee jobs in federal agencies to permanent career professional positions that he can fill and then leave like little bombs, little grenades for the next administration. Because as you know, a political appointee, just get rid of them. But a a federal civil servant, like what I was doing on the general scale or the SES scale, you can't just fire without cause. Oh, but wait. Didn't Trump just sign an executive order creating a Schedule F where anyone really can determine if a position is an at-will position and could just be fired at will? Huh. Maybe we could just say that these burrow owls, that's what I'm going to call them. Borough owls are uh, Schedule F employees that can be fired at will. Or, you know, or, you know, Mick Mulvaney can tell them their job's moving across the country. Like what happened to me. That would be fine, too. Anyway, I suppose if Biden wanted to, he could get rid of them, but it's just harder. And uh, uh, now, past administrations have done this, too. But it's being done at an alarming rate. And we'll see if Emily Murphy cracks and signs off on the damn transition. Or maybe Biden sues the GSA. Or we just wait until mid-December when all these things are, you know, certified. But meanwhile, the CDC is projecting 40,000 more deaths in the next three weeks. Three weeks, 40,000 deaths. And the CDC has come out and finally and said that masks actually protect the wearer as well as everyone around you. So spread that bit of news. It's on the CDC website. And I'll be talking more about the impact of transition delay on the battle against the coronavirus with Olivia Troy, whistleblower extraordinaire. She's from the the Pence Task Force. She's going to break some news with us right after this break. So stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Hey, everybody, this episode of Daily Beans is brought to you by the favorite, favorite cereal, um, my favorite that I've ever had in, like, literally in my whole life. It's called Magic Spoon. Now, since I was a kid, my favorite food was cereal. I would sit and watch The Muppet Show, prime time, eat cereal, like a whole bowl, almost a whole box, and then I would drink the milk after. It's my favorite thing. But I had to give it up as an adult because of all the sugar and the carbs and the junk and the stuff I can't pronounce. Well, guess what? Magic Spoon is here. It is a cereal that's so tasty, you will not believe it's made without all the sugar, carbs, or guilt. Truly, it is so good for you, you will not believe it's healthy, it's so delicious. And Forbes magazine says, with cereal that tastes this good and offers so much nutritional value, as opposed to, well, none, Magic Spoon may be the future of breakfast. But they have, Magic Spoon, amazingly, no sugar, zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. It is keto-friendly, gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, high-protein, and GMO-free. And the best part is it's delicious. That's the main thing. It's so, so good. Four flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry, to bring back all those childhood memories. It tastes incredible. I snack on it dry. I, I, it's just, I eat a whole box. It's delicious. It's wonderful. So go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans. Grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use promo code dailybeans to get free shipping at checkout. Now, Magic Spoon is so confident in their product. They are backed. They come, it has a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash dailybeans and use code dailybeans for free shipping. And we thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today to discuss her article for NBC about how blocking the Biden transition impacts the COVID response is former COVID task force advisor to Mike Pence, Olivia Troy. Olivia, welcome. Thank you, Allison. Thank you for having me. This is so awesome to talk to you. Now, I, I can guarantee you 99.999% of listeners of this show have watched you on Matto. That That's their other show. <laughs> so we I don't think we really need to um, go into the background of uh, where you came from and you're, you're speaking out, which I'm so honored to talk to you because I know how hard that can be uh, and how stressful it is. But um, I wanted to talk to you today about the negative impact that delaying the transition would have on COVID because you wrote this great piece for NBC. So can we talk a little bit about Emily Murphy and the GSA refusing to sign off on this transition? Sure. I think, I think, you know, I wrote the piece because I'm just watching this sort of unfold right now in a situation where we're really facing a major crisis across the U S with COVID again. Right. I mean, it never, it never went away. It didn't go away on November 4th, like the president and others kept saying it would. Unfortunately, as much as that would have been a miracle and it would have been great. But the reality is we knew that we would be in a very, very difficult situation come the fall and winter. And we're watching this play out firsthand. And so when I saw what was happening and I got word that the Biden transition was being impeded by this whole situation, I just felt that morally, really, it's just flat out wrong. I mean, right now is a time where the politics should be put to the side. And this transition, this transfer of power from one president to the next should be happening. And the transition team should have access right now, especially during this crisis, to the current task force that exists, because certainly there are experts on it. And there's been a lot of work done behind the scenes that they can learn from, right? I mean, so that they're not going backwards, that they're ready and they're moving forward. And certainly mistakes along the way where people like Dr. Burks and Dr. Fashi and others and myself included, can say, you know, this is what happened. This is why this decision was made. Or this is what we wanted them to do, but we were overruled by the president and the politicals. But the groundwork is there, right? And that could all be happening 
right now. These conversations could be happening right now so that on January 20th, when you know, President-elect Biden is sworn into office, they're already hitting the ground running and they can start implementing. Yeah. And, and you, you write here about the Presidential Transition Act, um, and that requires that the outgoing administration provide resources. And you talk about the intention of the law. Can we talk about that for, for a moment? One of, the, one of the main points of this is to hand over executive power uh, so that we, you know, in the face of an ongoing challenge, do you think we might be having an ongoing challenge at the moment? <laughs> I think so, right? I mean, the whole point of that act was so that in a moment where there's a transition happening in leadership of our country, that we would not weaken uh, our country's position in the face of adversaries or national security threats or major challenges. And right now we have a domestic crisis happening that has been going on for months. And, you know, talking about things like the vaccine and once the vaccine is ready and safe, how are they going to distribute it? How do we make sure that, you know, we have a whole network and a plan laid out for that? I mean, that could all be sort of being conversed on right now. And we could be talking about that. Now, the other part of it is Biden should be receiving the national security briefings. He should be re- like getting the presidential daily brief right now. These are all things that happen in the intelligence committee and the national security space. There should be a handoff sort of preparing him for the challenges to come. And that also helps him know what kind of strengths he needs in his cabinet or who he needs running certain areas of expertise when he gets told, you know, this is one of the greatest threats right off the bat that's already impacting our country. You need to move forward on it in addition to countering COVID, right? So these are all, these are all sorts of the conversations. And I look, I've been in government. I was in government for a very long time. I was there for several transitions. I actually remember doing a major briefing at DOD for President Obama's incoming team. And on a topic such as, as as grave as Guantanamo, on Guantanamo detention operations. And if you'll recall, the president ran on the platform, he wanted to close Gitmo. And as civil servants, we had a whole layout of options to present to the team. And it was their choice, you know, to run with it. But I give that as an example of how serious these transition briefings can be and get and the knowledge and power and information that gets conveyed during them. And so, for Emily, the head of the GSA, to sit there and comply and, you know, play, let this play out with the president, you know, I'm sure she's being pressured by them. I think she's actually contributing to the negligence and of not protecting the American people. She's impeding national security and she's impeding the crisis response on COVID. And so I only give you that example because I can tell you, like, all of the different topics that get briefed and what happens along the way should be happening now so that on January 20th, they can say, all right, this is, we have a baseline. There's so much work to be done, especially because we're so behind on a number of things right now, thanks to this current administration, that they can just start moving forward on it. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, uh, you, you were close to this administration. Why do you think government officials like Emily Murphy kowtow to Trump? Is it simply fear of pressure or do you think... Like, I remember back when we had the GSA scandal with the FBI headquarters, and she was in those meetings, and there were some dodgy things going on with that. Do you think it's, do you think he's actually got, I don't know, I guess, is he blackmailing people? I don't understand why they, why they, uh, why they're complicit in this. 
There's certainly a culture of fear, I would say, in the White House and across the administration. And these are vindictive people. I mean, that is just a known thing. And I think for her, I don't know where her political connections really lie, and I don't know what she has planned for the future. But I can tell you a lot of the time when people, especially when they're in political appointed slots, they're worried about what comes next. And in this administration, when you decide to speak out or you don't comply with things, they really see you as the enemy enemy, or you get labeled as an outsider. And I think, unfortunately, for the Republican Party and for going forward in future administrations or just in Republican leadership, I think right now it's very clear that Trump has a base that has really overtaken the party. And so I think you have a lot of people going, well, will I ever work again? And I can tell you that because people have said it to me. People have, yeah, I've gotten the text and the emails or had the phone calls from people that have said, well, I can't believe you did that. You'll never work in, in D.C. again. And I mean, I, one, I don't actually believe that. But if it is, then so be it. I'm not going to compromise everything. I, I just I had to tell the truth, especially at a moment that was so critical going into this election where people really needed to know what was happening. And I think Emily needs to really take a step back and say, do I because she is complicit at this point. Do I want to be part of that whole operation that's preventing these efforts from moving forward that are critical, especially when our country is such a, facing such a difficult time? I mean, we're watching hospital capacity get overwhelmed. The team should be getting briefed on that. They should be looking at the data so that going forward, when we come out of this, I mean, what's going on with the PPE? There's shortages again. Why is that? I, I have my theories and I've seen it behind the scenes. But things like that where... You know, they it should be collaborative and people like Emily and the president should do their patriotic duty. And now is the time to be American and unite. And so this kind of behavior is just it's deplorable and disappointing, but not surprising given the Trump administration. Yeah, true. And, and I can imagine what it must be like. Like, literally, I can imagine. Will I ever work again in the government if I speak out? And um, I think. One of the concerns must be, you know, sure, if, if 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 Emily comes out and says, this is ridiculous, I'm signing off on the transition and blows the whistle and does the right thing, then perhaps she could secure herself a position in a Biden administration. She's got experience or whatever it is, you know, if, if you do the right thing. But maybe some people think, oh, gosh, Joe Biden probably wouldn't want to appoint or hire somebody that's controversial. Right. Um, but. I think he has proven his willingness to do so by appointing Rick Bright to the new COVID response team that he put together. I was wondering your thoughts on that and what you think of the new team and Ron Klain now as as chief of staff, who, as you know, handled Ebola um, as Joe Biden's chief of staff when he was vice president under the Obama administration. Right. First on Rick Bright, I was so happy to see that because he certainly... Uh, back in April, when he did the whistleblower complaint, he was absolutely telling the truth. I remember sitting in my office, watching the headline hit. I knew we were in the middle of the crisis planning. And I remember looking up and thinking, this man, they're going to they're going to try to destroy him. And the amount of courage that that took. And I remember thinking, what he's doing is so courageous. And, and I it's important. And um, so to see him land on the transition team as an expert, 
especially on the vaccine efforts and what was going on in the FDA and inside of the Health and Human Services, I think was is a big win. Because uh, he'll certainly know a lot of the background that happened along the way and what could have been done that just wasn't. And, you know, and I think the team that they've assembled, um, it's experts, it's clear that uh, Joe Biden and Kamala, you know, they do believe in science. That's the basic fundamental thing right now. I just, it's hard to believe when I say that because it just seems kind of like common sense. Um, but that is unfortunately where we are in America, that I guess our leadership current leadership does not. And I think, uh, and wrongly, I thought that was a great appointment. I mean, given his background, uh, and I'm, I've known that he is a very level-headed leader, which I think will be needed during this time. And to me, I mean, I was very happy to see that. Uh, to be honest, I wish I'd had someone like that working <laughs> when I was in the White House. <laughs> um, it Things I think would have been a lot different if we had. <laughs> I agree that I agree with that 100 percent. It was actually just really it felt so good to to hear about Ron Klain and this COVID task force uh, Biden's and to be like, oh, my gosh, experts, scientists, you know, not economists or non-lawyers like Bossy or whoever, uh, it, you know, is is part of this. So that was very, very comforting. Uh, I just have a couple more questions for you about specific things like vaccination efforts and the impact of uh, on Hispanic and black communities and how, how this impasse sort of impacts that. Would you be willing to hang out with me just for a quick break and, and uh, to answer those questions? Yes, sure. Okay, great. Everybody will be right back. Hey, everyone. It's AG for the Daily Beans podcast. Have you ever thought about your cellular health? Yeah, I, I never did really much either. I mean, why would we? Well, I'll tell you why, because cells are the foundation of our health. They make us who we are. They're the building blocks, right? And and one of the important building blocks of our cells is called NAD, which is vital for things like sleeping, breathing, eating, drinking, you know, some of the stuff we don't think about. And the bad news is, as we get older, our, well, as we get older, as we get older, our bodies don't make NAD like they used to as we age. Wonderful. So, but here's the good news. There's a way to boost your NAD levels, and it's called True Niagen. True Niagen helps counteract the effects of time on your body by promoting cellular repair. It also helps with healthy aging by supporting cellular function and metabolism to maintain overall health and well-being. True Niagen can also help you increase cellular energy. It replenishes the decline in NAD due to stressors, such as lack of sleep and overeating, and you can uh, keep up with your active lifestyle a little bit better. Taking True Niagen also helps with cellular defense in the face of stresses like alcohol consumption or immune stress, which I've been doing lately, and that is a form of cellular stress. True Niagen has caught the attention of the scientific community for its remarkable ability to boost NAD, and they have over 10 clinical studies to prove it. So give yourselves a boost with True Niagen. And right now, new customers can save $20 on a three-month supply. Just go to truenyagen.com slash dailybeans. That's T-R-U-N as in Nancy, I-A-G-E-N dot com slash dailybeans to save $20 on a three-month supply. truenyagen.com slash dailybeans. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are talking with Olivia Troy. And uh, Olivia, to continue the conversation, um, in your incredible piece here for NBC, you talk about more specific details about the negative impacts that this delay of transition to power has on this immense challenge we're facing with COVID. Can you talk a little bit about the vaccination effort and how that might be impacted? Sure. You know, with the vaccinations, it's not just about creating the vaccine and making sure that it's safe and all the protocols get followed, which I know Fortunately, that the medical experts and the companies and the scientists have have done, 
you know, an incredible job of maintaining separation and ensuring that this vaccine is not politicized. And let me tell you, that is no small feat, having seen some of the shenanigans that went inside the White House. Um, and I credit them to that. And I do credit people like Dr. Hahn, the head of the FDA, because I have seen him take on some in, like incredibly serious battles, is what I'll say, uh, with integrity. And probably more battles and, and no one, more than you know anyone will ever know. And, and I'm grateful that he has hung on because this has been miserable for all of us who had to, who worked on this effort. Um, and we did it because solely because we were committed to trying to do the right thing, even in the face of adversity. So when it comes to the vaccine, it's just a whole, there's several steps and layers to it, right? I mean, it's developing it, but not only that, it's just trying to figure out the storage of it and the facilitation of how you're going to distribute it. And it's just, it's several layers of figuring out that process and also laying the groundwork, right? I mean, with the distributors and hospitals and medical clinics and, you know, places like CVS or Walgreens or anything, not that I'm advocating for any, any of them, but I'm saying <laughs> just the amount of effort that needs to be put into this to make sure that it is done in a way that is safe, that transporting the vaccine will be safe. I mean, there's a whole logistical infrastructure that needs to be put in place. And all of these things, I'm sure someone, I hope, has been working on this part of it. Um, but those are the types of things that, those are the discussions that need to be happening right now. It's like, okay, as soon as it's ready, if the Moderna vaccine is ready, or Pfizer, or Johnson Johnson, any of these, say we have one, or we have two versions of it, and we we think that they're effective. And Dr. Fauci comes out and says, "Because to be honest, I'm not going to be at peace until I have someone like a Dr. Fauci standing up there saying we have a vaccine." Um, right. And when that happens, people need to be able to move out on this, and that is why it's critical that the teams be working together and that they they understand exactly where it, where things are today because. That is going to take time and it's going to take several weeks or months of planning, right? And so the last thing we want is to be losing the next six weeks or so until the inauguration happens. And it will happen whether Donald Trump wants this to happen or not. And then all this time has been lost that is valuable time where all of these people could be working together and rowing in the same direction with someone at the helm who actually cares. Yeah. And if we thought the seven week delay and Trump doing anything in the beginning of February was bad, the six week delay here when we're having over 120, 130,000 cases, new cases per day is just exponentially uh, worse. Um, it's dangerous. Very dangerous. It's so, so, it's so it's so dangerous. Now, also, can you tell me briefly what happened when you tried to brief um, the task force on the impact of COVID on Hispanic and black communities and, and how you see that changing going forward? Yeah, you know, I had a even a conversation with one of the communications teams members for the White House where I offered advice on messaging. I offered, I had ideas. I tried to say, you know, we need to actually be going on Spanish television too to some of these communities because that's how you're going to reach them. Uh, and we did have significant discussions on how this virus was 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 significantly impacting uh, the Black and Latino communities, especially uh, mostly because diabetes and comorbidities are very prominent in these in these communities, and we were seeing that the 
cases were more severe and also the community spread was greater just by nature of the communities and the living situations. And uh, I have to say that at times it was ridiculous and appalling to me because we would be doing a briefing or they would say, you know, they would convey or pretend that they were taking it seriously. And their response to that was by putting the black members of the task force at the table and having them on the screen so that they could show that we were diverse and they were being represented. And I just thought to myself, this is so one offensive and ridiculous because I'm the one that had to make the seating changes. I'm the one that organized all the meetings. And so I'm watching this and I was like, you've got to be kidding me. We're going to put Ben Carson and Dr. Adams, who I'm, who I know is fully aware that that's what was happening, by the way, and how embarrassing and how degrading is it to them, especially because they're doctors, right? I mean, Ben Carson, I believe, was a neurosurgeon. So it's it's also disrespectful that that's the kind of game that was being played. And that was Katie Miller's way of checking the box and saying, yeah, you know, we're taking this seriously. I'm like, no, but there's actually nothing going on. Where is the actual effort from the White House to really address this other than it's the dog and pony show and you put the person at the podium today that you want there to fit your agenda and then you're going to block actual doctors from talking about science and facts because it doesn't fit your agenda. You're saying Surgeon General Jerome Adams knew he was being utilized in that way? I've heard, I have heard that he, it came to his attention of what was actually happening. And I can't imagine that that felt good. Yeah, no, um, that's absolutely awful. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's television. It's central casting. It's it's how does it look on TV? That's never been uh, or that's always been sort of the the way of moving forward and no actual not actually doing anything about it. You know, I'll tell you one more that I have actually not spoken about. Okay, that is incredibly upsetting to me when I think about it and remember the conversation I had. And when you look at the governor's briefings and some of the health departments and the mayor's briefings, because I was watching this with the El Paso briefing too, they all have sign language interpreters. And for months at the start of the pandemic, I wondered why the White House didn't have a sign language interpreter. And early on, I said, we need to be able to communicate with people with disabilities, right? When they're watching these briefings. It would be, yeah. I think, acceptable to have someone up there and it would be inclusive and make sure that we are trying to reach as many people as possible. And uh, I w- it was shut down and I was told to really back off of that. And I was told that's not necessary. We're going to move on. And then I brought it up again. And the same person said to me, it's never going to happen. Olivia, let it go. Did they say why? No real explanation. I was just told to stop bringing it up. Oh, my gosh. I, I don't suppose you can tell me who told you that. It's Katie Miller. Katie Miller? She's in charge of communications for the vice president's office. Oh, my God. That's um, so disheartening. So when I say that some of us stayed and we fight, especially as a career person assigned there, right? I mean, these are the types of conversations that would happen that you would bring up and you would advocate for it because you really are advocating, especially for me from the national security world. My entire focus is really just about protecting Americans. 
Yeah. And I, I mean, that should be the job, right? That, that, that should be the job. Yeah. You know, you took, you take an oath, right? You take an oath and, and that's exactly it. And so I think I mentioned things like that just because I think sometimes it's hard at people look at, especially some of the doctors or the experts on there or other than say, like, why are they still there? Or how do they hang in there? And, you know, I, I think because sometimes when these situations or conversations happen, I can't tell you how many times I've walked away from it saying, okay, I'm going to try a different way, or I'm going to approach this from a different manner, or I'm going to talk to someone else and see if I can make headway on that. And, and you stop it. Sometimes you walk away thinking, if not me, then who? And the next person will probably just fall in line and not, not try to at least do what's right. Right, because we were always screaming like, Fauci, quit, hold your own press conferences. But it was so vital for him to remain in the position that he was in to p- run interference. Yeah. I mean, look, and Dr. Burks, I know she gets a lot of uh, pushback and grief, but she she has visited 42 states on the ground. She sometimes, she drives herself. She stays in hotels. Like, personally, I think it's better for her to be out there on the ground because she's communicating directly with governors. She's sharing the information firsthand and this information would be blocked or wouldn't be encouraged to be shared if she were sitting inside the white house. And these governors all know that. Yeah. And I imagine the conversations she has with them in person when she's not on camera or in the press briefing room are very different. A hundred percent. I've been witness to some of them and they are a hundred percent night and day. Oh my God. And right now, given the dire situation, those conversations need to be happening. Well, um, there's a lot of insight there, and I appreciate you telling me these things today and talking to us, uh, helping us understand the negative impact that this delay and transition can have on, uh, you know, when it comes down to it, American lives. Um, it's stunning. Yeah, you know, I, I think what was really hard for a lot of us, and especially for me, it's, it's just watching a group of political people who can't take a step back and really view it from that lens. Right. And so at the end of the day, for me, it's really not about politics. And it really, yeah, so I don't get to work in Washington again. Fine. Fine with me, because that was never really my focus. I was never looking to climb the ladder inside the White House. I was there to pretty much survive the environment and do my job. Well, you know, as, as uh, we've learned from several people close to to Donald, including Mary Trump, that, you know, he's very transactional. What's in it for me? He doesn't do things. He doesn't understand service outside of himself or serving a greater good because he can't figure out what's in it for them. Uh, That makes them suckers and losers. So it stands to reason that, that, you know, everything that um, you've come out and said and, and have talked about, you know, is true. And it's just the way that he operates. So well, I'm glad that we're going to be moving forward with a new task force. Just wish uh, Emily Murphy would see the light. Right. Me too. Well, thank you so, so much, everybody. Olivia Troy, can you uh, let everybody know where they can find you, follow you? Sure. I'm on Twitter. Mostly that's where I'm most active. So uh, it's Olivia Troy. It's my Twitter handle. If you're kind, I do occasionally respond to DMs and I check in with people and some people, you know, talk about their kids and what's going on in the country. And I do respond. If you write me a hateful message and send me weird images, I'm probably going to kind of ignore that and pretend that you're not existing. So there's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I can also tell you where to get my burn book sign, but apparently people comment that I have in the back screen that says thank you next president. Or I can tell you where to get the time Fauci cover, but 
things like that I'll answer to and certainly point you in the right direction. But if you tell me that I'm a horrible person, I'm probably just going to keep walking and go on my merry way. <laughs> Fine. Fortunately, the Daily Beans audience are the kindest people on the planet. So I don't think you have anything to worry about. I'm not here, worried but... either. I would have shared that otherwise. <laughs> yeah, but it's always good to slide that in there because sometimes you get the one, you know? <laughs> Uh, well, thank you. Thank you so much. Again, everybody check out Olivia Troy on Twitter. Follow her. We appreciate your time today. Great. Thank you for having me. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. Hey, everybody. It's AG for The Daily Beans. This segment of the podcast is brought to you by Echelon, which provides connected fitness at an affordable price. That's the big part, right? There's nothing quite like feeling the blissful accomplishment from a great workout. I love the end of a workout or beating your personal record or achieving your fitness goals. And Echelon prides itself on being able to help our users get there. I love this service. One Echelon membership lets up to five household family members enjoy all the benefits. Their variety of equipment and programs is incredible. Echelon has connected bikes that give you an immersive studio experience, which is awesome. They have smart rowers that take you down the best waterways in the world. And they have the Reflect Smart Mirrors for personal training at the touch of a button. And there's just one app to connect them all. Echelon United provides access to all content throughout Echelon's products. They have thousands of on-demand classes with 30-plus accredited world-class trainers, and they have guests and celebrity instructors all the time. Work out with Echelon community and inspire each other to climb the leaderboards. It's a lot of competition, and it's awesome. Echelon has been featured in Women's Health, Cosmo, Time, People, and more. Wall Street Journal says Echelon has cracked the code, and Yahoo Finance says Echelon, where fitness and technology unite at a price you can afford. And if you want to turn things around and get in the best shape of your life, check out echelonfit.com today. All right, everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. Ah, oh, it's Friday, and that means the angel of the universe, the incredible Amy Carrero is here to read the good news with me. Amy, how are you? Hello. I was just saying how this is the first time we've spoken since our big election day win. Election week win. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was like election Hanukkah. Oh. There were there were <laughs> there were many nights. Yes, and we got a few little tiny gifts, you know, like along the way. But then we got the big gift on the last night, which was which was great. But I'm yeah, like we were saying, I'm feeling so good. I had one really good night of sleep, partially because I was wasted on Saturday night. Um, and then you know, it's back to this crazy or or just totally. A totally bananas transition. Yeah, it's it's been uh, it was great, and now it's we're back in in the moat. I feel like, but there's light at the end of the tunnel. We yes. see we see land, or whatever the yes. metaphor is. <laughs> <laughs> whatever the good metaphor is. Yeah, we'll we'll get through it. It's just going to be pretty. It's just going to be pretty intense, and yeah. and we, you know, we had a long show today. There was a lot of news, but now it is time for the good news. It is time to unwind and relax with the smooth sounds of good news <laughs> from our listeners. And if you have good news, if it's personal or political, or if you have a confession or um, a correction, just send it into us at uh, dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. Hey, do me a favor. Subscribe on Apple. We used to be like super top in the charts. And now that like everyone's already subscribed and, and we stopped telling people to subscribe, it's like, you know, we're not really looking at that anymore. But if you do that, it helps us out. It helps us like, you know, beat Hannity in the charts. And that's always fun. <laughs> and uh, leave us a review. We appreciate uh, any reviews that you can leave on Apple Podcasts. Um, 
And that would be super snazzy. So I'm going to kick this off if that's cool with you, Shira. Yeah, of course. All right. Here we go with Matt, pronouns he and him. This is Matt, <laughs> the guy who calls Trump the abscess in chief. I've written in a couple times before about text banking and lizards. Oh, yes, Matt, Matt. First off, thanks so much for all you do. I've been listening to your show nearly every day for months now. I don't expect to stop anytime soon. Lately, I've been listening before work while I played chill space video games. Uh, takes the edge off. Now for the good news. One of my friends has a 12-year-old daughter. Let's call her awesome. Uh, one of her classmates was going on about how if Biden wins, my family won't have enough money for food. Oh. Instead of just taking his word, she asked her mother about it, and they looked up Biden's tax plan together. Now, Awesome knows about marginal tax rates and that Biden only plans to raise taxes on households that make over $400,000 a year. Critical thinking for the win. I don't have an anecdote for her other daughter right now, uh, but she is every bit as awesome. These kids are the future, and I am here for it. Also, last week, I started watching the new She-Ra, and I love it. I'm in my mid-30s. I don't have kids. I know this show wasn't made for me, but it's funny and uplifting and it has such amazing characters. I even got my wife into it with such a stressful week. This was just what we needed. Uh, I may not have tried watching it if it weren't for hearing Amy on the Daily Beans. So thank you. Wonderful. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate that. And how cool that awesome had it together enough to be like, that doesn't sound right. Let me do some digging and find, you know, the truth. So I love that. Mm, yeah. And I, I'll, the thing that makes me sad, though, was when the girl said, I know. if Biden wins, my family won't have enough money for food. That means people's parents are telling their kids yes. that they're going to go hungry yep. if Biden wins. That's fucked up. Yeah, it sure is. Because 12, 13-year-olds can't vote. Right. Like, what's the point? You just try to scare your kid? What a bunch of assholes Trump voters are. But, you know, sometimes, too, like, kids listen. You know, let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say, like, they didn't even hear that. You know, or, or they didn't even say that directly to their, you know, child. But, like, it doesn't matter what you say to one another, what you say even in passing, even under your breath. Like, your kids hear that stuff. You know, you think they don't, but they do. Yeah. And what happened to I'm scared if Biden wins and then you say, hey, we're, we got each other. Everything's going to be right. all right. You, yeah. you you comfort your kids. Yeah. You don't dump on them. Terrorize your children. What the fuck? That's Just abuse. So anyway. Yep. 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 OK. But we know that awesome is doing awesome. And so is Matt and everybody. So I love that. OK. The next one up is from Jessica. She her. She says beans peeps. I'm a drama teacher in a public school in Montana. Woohoo! This year has been extremely difficult and there are frustrations on all sides. Our teachers gave up their prep period to go into a block schedule and teach eight classes on top of managing several remote learning classes. Challenging, she writes in quotes, is an understatement for how this year is shaping up and this is my seventh year as an educator. I am currently teaching eight different lessons to ten different classes. I'm exhausted just reading this. I wanted to let you know how much your podcast means to me. I listen to it every morning as I get ready and drive to work. I wanted to share with you a brag moment. I have been teaching my students how to do stage makeup. Halloween season. I have had the pleasure of teaching my students how to do bruises and cuts and horror and some fantasy and old age. I literally got to say things like, okay, we need to make this bloodier. Wait, wait. 
Do you have any more gelatin to chunk this mess up? It was a blast. Amidst all the turmoil my students are going through and the politics and the freaking COVID, my students and I were able to forget and just have fun making a mess with fake blood. If only we could solve the world's problems by adding fake blood and latex. Ah, yes. Along Mm -hmm. with the before mentioned, I'd like to brag about how one of my previous students was recently featured in a book on how can everyday people create world peace. My student mentioned me and my cheesy saying of assume positive intent. The student wrote that it basically means that when a situation happens, we should assume the other person was doing it in a positive way. It warms my feels that even when I am struggling and trying to wake up and go to work to face this catastrophe of a world, maybe I'm doing something that will help others and to help my students reach their potential. I see so much goodness in them and I oftentimes forget to step back and remember that they will follow if I lead. Please send up a prayer or warm thoughts or glitter unicorns for the teachers in our country. We are expected to sit in a dumpster fire of a world and make things normal for our students and communities. We need all the positive vibes we can get. Thank you. Keep on going, Beans Teams. P.S. I'm including some pictures of my cats, Miss Scarlet and Sherlock. Oh my God. Oh my God. Wait, how did you get these cats in these outfits? I'm like, wait, wait, wait. This can't be real. Is this Photoshop? (laughs) No, I can't stop laughing. Oh, my God. How did a world, how in the world did a cat get into this outfit is what I want to know. Two cats. Okay. So, so we've got uh, Ms. Scarlet and Sherlock in a uh, Santa outfit and an elf outfit. (laughs) The hat says Santa's little helper. And uh, then there's just one of them snuggling, which is adorable. So hilarious. Oh, I see it now. Okay. Wait, AG, here's my problem. I was looking at the top hands of the outfits. I thought that that I thought that cat has the had the world's shortest torso. I understand what's happening now. They're fake hands. Oh my god. Yeah, those are fake arms. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> okay, I was like, something's up with these cats, girl. I don't You're know like, what to tell you. Weird. Okay. Did you do a pano picture and forget to Okay. No, these are awesome. Thank you for that. Love and it. I love assume positive intent i love that what a great lesson yes and hats off to all of our teachers sending hearts and thoughts and prayers and loves and vibes um that is so challenging you guys are heroes so hard next up from ricardo pronouns he and him thanks for everything you've done to keep us all sane during this real life reenactment of the plot against america (laughs) this has been the last four years i'm a listener from portugal but i'm really concerned about the rise of fascism and nationalism in the world and it's awesome that you finally got rid of your small dictator (laughs) a couple left to go in the world but for now let's celebrate this one victory i have one correction for you you keep calling biden the 46th president but we all know the next president is Mm. going to be mike pence so he can pardon Trump. Pence is the real winner of these elections. I just thought I'd correct the record. I'm sending you my pod pet tax. I think we should call him 45.5, you know? 45.5, yeah. Yeah, if Trump resigns so he can get the Pence pardon, I don't think Pence should be 46. Uh, Anyway, Ricardo says, I'm sending you my pod pet tax. The black one is Link and the white one is Sookie. Sookie. And uh, these are awesome. Sucker. These are awesome 14-year-old kitties. Oh, my Abubika is 14 years old. Oh, 14-year-old babies. Oh, so sweet. Oh, so adorbs. What a lovely little family portrait, family collage. I know. 
I know. So cool. Yeah. And look at Ricardo. Oh. Yeah, he's not too not too shabby looking either. People <laughs> listening. Okay. The next um bit of good news is from Izzy, pronouns she her. Good news. I'm an old lady who has fallen in love. I wanted to share it with this with you. <laughs> I wanted to share this with you, fun folks, since you since you started quarantine confessions. You see, being quarantined and having to have major surgery during a pandemic and 385 square feet with another human is an interesting experience. It turns out sometimes it can work very, very well. I've been listening to you now since Molly what? she wrote. I love that use. She wrote it B-E-A-N. I've been listening to you since Muller she wrote. I'm one of those weirdos who actually read and then listened to the entire audio version of the Mueller report. Your show helped me to understand many of the finer points. I felt that I could argue from a position of strength after gathering info from your show and the many offshoots I have learned about from you all. Anyone who has actually read the report knows that Trump is a, a simply a slimy creep. Oops, I meant a corrupt, entitled slimy creep. Can I say that without being arrested these days? But I digress in my good news tale of true love. See, that's what dishonorable Donnie has done to all of us now. We start one conversation or even just a thought and it immediately devolves into another fuck that guy. My new favorite phrase, <laughs> one that I'd like to thank you all for, for giving me permission to use freely, even as an old lady. Back to true love. I met this guy. Okay. Some call him dot 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 Tim. Monty Python reference. Tim. <laughs> and what a great guy. He's an enchanter. <laughs> I love it. What a great guy. I've got multiple sclerosis, which means there are simply days that I don't slash can't move. What does he do? He makes me yummy food, rubs my feet, hugs me, and best of all, makes me laugh. He goes out taking pictures. He's a truly amazing photographer. So I can feel like I'm back hiking in the forest again or sitting with him next to a stream. This wonderful guy has been my soulmate, my roommate, my best friend, and true love for almost 40 years yeah i married that guy lucky lucky me you can love someone or you can like someone but if you're lucky and smart enough to get someone you both love and like well that is everything and it turns out we can live super close together and still laugh our heads off i have fallen even more in love with my guy i absolutely uh, wish for you and all of your listeners this kind of true love and true liking thank you for all that you do Thanks for the laughs and for the phrase, fuck that guy. I admit it. I love it when you coo <laughs> over the pod pets. This is Andy, the most fantastic pup in the world. It's a baby golden retriever. Oh. Oh, my gosh. It's just too much. Oh. It's so cute. What a lovely thing to say about one's partner. I know. That's so lovely. That's especially especially the falling in like or the uh the true liking mm. is so important. Yeah. You love them forever, but you gotta like them every day. Oh <laughs> right? that's such a good line. <laughs> oh thanks. I just came up with it. That's real good. Okay. Now Next up from Wendy. This is probably more confession than good news, a little bit of both. Months ago, my cousin who lives in Georgia sent my mother a Special pinata. It was oh Donald God. Trump holding a MAGA sign. <laughs> we had strict instructions to bust him uh, when we found out Biden won. Fast forward to Saturday. I'm spending some time with my 79-year-old mom after she had a fall and Aww. broke her left hip. 18 months, by the way, after breaking Aww. her right hip. And we got to watch the results finally start to come in. 
My mom, my 19-year-old son, my brother, his wife, their two teenagers, and I all took turns beating the pinata until his innards spewed forth in a rainstorm of liquor minis and candy. (laughs) It was so much fun and wonderful to have my mom smile for a bit. I'm attaching a photo of the damage I did to his face (laughs) and myself winding up. And for the pet tax photo, my dog Hoda in his favorite spot. Also, if your listeners have a little prayer, positive thought, or well wishes they'd like to send my mom, I'd appreciate it. She's Mrs. Grumpy Pants, depressed and a tough patient to take care of. So there's the the pinata. There's the bashed up pinata. My gosh. That is incredible. Also, I'm a little bit worried about the person standing behind the pinata. It looks like they're holding the pinata. I'm like, watch that bat. Oh my gosh, this dog is everything. Hoda is a beautiful dog. Hoda is a beaut. Handsome. Handsome beauty dog. Like a sheepdog. Gorgeous. Yeah, some sort of a, maybe Australian sheep dog. I actually don't yeah, know. Australian anything, shepherd or herding dog. It's yes. one of those herding agility type dogs, you know. And like dual tone. Beautiful, beautiful. Gorge. Yeah, yeah, like the, like, yeah, very cute. Like a roan. Oh, it's so, so, so beautiful. Love it. All right, we got one more. One more. Nate. Pronouns she, her. Hello, ladies, and thanks for doing everything you do with this podcast to keep us all informed, insane, and occasionally laughing with about middle fingering. This is a combination of good news and confession. Since the election, I have taken it on myself to educate my conservative friends and family anytime they bring up bogus claims of voter fraud. And yesterday... I got my parents to actually accept that everything is above board, which I didn't think would happen because they are die-hard Trumpers. It's amazing that I was able to show uh, to to use this show and a few reports from Political to show them that I was right. Now for the confession. One of my conservative friends linked the Trump campaign fraud phone line on Facebook. And while I had heard that it was being trolled by people, I never thought to look it up. Well, seeing it gave me an idea. So I dialed it up. The woman who answered asked for my name and I gave a (laughs) fake name and I had and I gave a fake and had to keep from laughing. I told her I had a large info dump that Mr. Giuliani needed to see ASAP. When she asked what it was, I responded with, I bought, I bought Hunter Biden's childhood Etch-A-Sketch at the Goodwill in Wilmington, <laughs> and it has voter fraud on it. She immediately hung up. Maybe it's not right to harass someone just doing their job on a phone line, but it was some amazing schadenfreude all the same. As tax oh, for posts, I have my wonderful son in his T-Rex costume from Halloween. He turns three in two weeks and loves stomping around, stomping around the house. And I'm assuming that means just Jurassic Park, watching Jurassic Park all day. Oh. Oh. That's so cool. Look. What a cutie pie. Awesome costume. Do they make that in my size? Always is my question. Do they make that in my size? <laughs> I know. Okay. I just can't. I can just imagine you like... On your couch with your cats, just like eating popcorn, wearing that with a glass of wine. Yeah, 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 glass yeah, of yeah. Wine, wearing the. Hey, you know what? That could be your inauguration outfit. We can make that happen, douche. Yeah, I let's mean, do that. Oh, that's kind of a genius idea. Can I? Can I give a confession? Because I have a similar confession to um, Nate. Okay, I'll do it super quick. So yeah. you know that Senator Ron Johnson uh, tweeted yesterday. He said, my committee has jurisdiction over USPS and the federal workforce. I'm asking anyone who knows of irregularities related to mail-in or absentee ballots to contact our con- confidential whistleblower hotline, whistleblower at ronjohnson.senate.gov. So 
don't mind if I do. I, I, I did, I did file a report. I said um, the subject line was "ballots dropped off in Miami Dade," which is where I grew up. Hello, I'd like to report a disturbing incident I witnessed at a ballot drop-off location in Miami-Dade County, specifically the Hammocks Library in the Kendall neighborhood. I saw massive lines of people waiting hours and hours only to make it to one of the drop-off boxes to piss away their votes for Donald Trump. I hate to say that voting against our own interests is a hallmark behavior in many Miami Latinos, especially ones who have been preyed upon by the Republican Party for generations. You see, spreading unfounded claims about communism against a political opponent to people who fled authoritarian regimes masquerading as communism is immoral and unforgivable thanks for all the wonderful work you're doing to catch those influencing negatively influencing our communities ruining our neighborhoods and gutting our health care you're doing the lord's work thank you amy carrero p.s can't wait for inauguration day <laughs> it's just so fun to troll these that folks. is brilliant that's brilliant <gasps> i well then i have a confession too because i trolled yeah I trolled uh, uh, Ron Johnson on that as well. <laughs> he did. Um, Wait, that's probably where I got the idea from because you had written something on it. Yeah, because he, you know, he's like, if you see, you know any voter fraud, here's our hotline. And I mean, I responded with, well, who do we call about senators who, <laughs> who are pal around with known Kremlin agents that are on the U.S. sanctions list Ooh. and launder Russian disinformation through the Senate? Who do we call about that, Ron Johnson? <laughs> Oh my god, I'm looking at it right now. You got so many likes. Oh my god, I love it. That's hilarious. Yeah. What how many likes? How many likes is that up to? You you're up to four thousand six hundred and six likes. That's pretty good. <laughs> and three hundred and sixty-nine <laughs> retweets. And and so many replies. You know what? You're fucking killing it. I love it. Oh my gosh. Well, this has been fun. I'm so glad that you shared that. And I'm so glad that every like <laughs> <laughs> that Nate shared uh, shared their um, Hunter Biden's childhood etch a sketch. That was so great. Good. So that's such a good punchline. That's such a Wendy, good Wendy. Thank you, Izzy. Yeah. Thank you, Ricardo. Love your pets. Love Portugal. Um, the Santa and Elf outfits uh, from Jessica were incredible. <laughs> Matt, brilliant, awesome job with awesome. Thank you so much for all of this, all of these good news stories. Keep them coming. We are going to need them now more than ever between now and Inauguration Day, which is my birthday. Uh, so yes. we need to do this. And yesterday, I day before yesterday, I applied to be part of the Biden transition team in the <gasps> Biden administration. Oh, my gosh. And I whipped out and dusted off my old federal government resume, right? This yeah. is back when we called them resumes. Sure. And I haven't used it since 2014. And uh, I updated it, dusted it off, gave it a little polish. And then I looked at my references. Put the Webby like, in there. Put the Webby in there. I did. I totally put the Webby oh, in good, there. Good, and good. The, the podcast and everything. And uh, I looked at my references and I was like, mm, I think I know some better people. So oh. I was able to get Barb, Barb McQuaid, Joyce Vance, Andrew McCabe, Joe McCabe. Oh, shit. And Andrew Torres and Frank Figluzzi uh, as as personal character references. No big deal. And I found out yesterday that Barb McQuaid has been hired on the Biden transition team. So I was like, Barb, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, my reference. Yeah. Uh, you know, hey, hey. Oh, my so, gosh. I don't know, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But um, I, you wait, know. wait. I have so many. OK, let's just wait to see what happens. But I am. That's very that's the best news I've heard all day. 
And and I thought cats <laughs> that had very small torsos. So like that's pretty good news. <laughs> Just gonna say. I don't know cats small small torsoed cats like miniature cats would that would be great. It would be totally. funny if you if they stayed kitten size but their head just got old. <laughs> that's what it looks like when you post the picture. You'll be able to see that it literally looks like a giant headed cat with a very very small torso, and it's actually a little bit strange. So I'm I'm just thrilled to know that that's not the case. Oh, it's wonderful. Anyway, thank you. It's been wonderful. I love having you here on Fridays. I love Fridays with you, Amy. Thank and you. Uh, we'll love see everybody here. at the the happy hour meet and greet. You should uh, try to stop in if you're not working. I know you're working a lot these days, which is so wonderful. I'm so happy for you. But if not, stop on in. It's at 4 p.m. Pacific time. It's only would love that it's only for only for patrons from now on because we've had a couple we've had a crasher so it's just oh. for patrons uh and um i appreciate you any final thoughts before we scoot for the weekend i appreciate you i just want to say we we were almost there the light is at the end of the tunnel we just have to stay fortified and look ahead and know that you know better days are coming and if you have any young people in your life that are maybe a little bit confused about what's going on i have like a super super basic thing going on my instagram where i just kind of go into basic civics and people have been really liking them um so if you have anybody any teens in your life or you know if you just need like a refresh on how some of this stuff works head over to my Instagram at Amy Carrero and you can see some of my latest videos. I love how much good work that you do. I, I remember when we, you were doing like impeachment 101 lessons over oh, yeah. on your Insta and and now you're reaching out to help young people and just, just the amazing stuff that you're involved in. I appreciate you so much. Well, you are a constant inspiration for that. And uh, all the Beans listeners as well. Um, absolutely just an incredible community of people. All of you, seriously, blows me away. Humbled every day. So until next time, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of your mental health and take care of the planet. I've been AG. And I've been Amy Carrero. And them's the Beans. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com. <laughs>